0: Perfectly good, I think. I don't often intend on getting too personal or involved with them, but like very friendly, all ask after each other. But um, and a couple I can actually call my friends, but generally just keep it civil and pleasant, and make sure we work well together. I'm uh, actually self-employed, so I don't have any colleagues. <laughs> I basically just work by myself.
1: Um I'd say we're all friends we're very chatty, very confident and I like it's such a fun place to work and we always have fun at work like dancing like we choose the music, which is helpful to get through the day. Um, I'd say we're all really, really close and like we do a lot of like work dues outside of work. so I think that's really important when you're working with people you actually need to be friends with them and not have such like a hostile environment to work in if you wanted to set an ideal for, your relationship with your colleagues, what would that look like? Pretty much how I currently have it, <laughs> but
0: oh, this sounds bad, but I just can't be bothered with some of them offloading their problems on me. Um, I like so i like to just keep it friendly and all that, but when someone is too happy to talk about themselves at too much length, I'm just there to work and get paid and I can't be bothered. Um, so yeah, just basically what i got already, but maybe a tiny bit less involved.
1: I'd say someone who's very confident, someone who likes to work in a team because it's so weird if they don't. Um, I think you have to be open to other ideas of how like work can be improved. You can't just be so set in your own mind and someone who wants to have fun. So someone who's not serious all the time, yeah. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and he loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you.
0: Hello everyone, so good to be with you, Um, a special uh, welcome to you if you are uh, watching our host site right now and uh, wherever you are, whether that's in Central Brighton or in Shoreham or anywhere else in the world, uh, so good to be with you in this uh, way. Uh, We're continuing on in our uh, Your People series and today we're going to be looking at how you treat your colleagues, how you treat your colleagues and I guess the first thing I'll say is this, that we all have colleagues, and even if you don't have colleagues in the kind of traditional sense, uh, you will nevertheless, I'm sure, have uh, kids, uh, clients, uh, classmates, or a community that you are doing a life with, uh, meaning that the, the kind of the words and the actions of Jesus in this passage will be no less striking to you no matter what uh, sort of season of life you are in. And I guess our experience of um, uh, colleagues will differ naturally. I mean, I myself, I work for an investment brokerage. I have done for a number of years now. And I guess my experience of working kind of in the world, um, you could summarise using this kind of famous or old proverb, uh, which goes something like this. It says, there are some people you work with and have a great time, and there are others you work with, And it's like doing time. And uh, that's very much uh, my experience in the working world. And if you're being honest with yourself, I'm sure it would be your experience. And I went to the University of Brighton as well. And I think that this proverb uh, lends to academics just as well as the the kind of working world. Uh, Meaning that colleagues at their best can uh, really uh, be assets to us. They can be allies and at their worst, um, set themselves up as kind of adversaries and there are a few people that understand this this dynamic this mix of uh, ally and adversary in amongst co-workers uh, than Jesus of Nazareth uh, because Jesus had colleagues he had co-workers uh, we call them the disciples and while it's fair to say that uh, Jesus didn't treat the disciples merely as co-workers, no, they, they had a profound friendship. They uh, mixed this kind of big brother, little brothers uh, type dynamic with this wonderful kind of rabbi pupil dynamic. They, they had a rich relationship, Jesus, with his disciples. But with that said, we mustn't miss the reality that they really did work with each other. Uh, they were colleagues, Uh, Paul wasn't afraid to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 we are God's co-workers we are God's co-workers Uh, therefore uh, Jesus didn't go around from uh, city to city as a one-man band no Jesus went around from city to city with a team a team that he worked with and as a team they held meetings uh, set agendas uh, discussed objectives and attended events So Jesus was very much part of a a team here. And just like any good team, uh, Jesus' team had a mission statement. Uh, The great commission statement in Matthew chapter uh, 28, where Jesus really uh, gives his team uh, their kind of marching orders, if you like, what they are to be like till the end of the age, what they're to be busying themselves with. Uh, Meaning that Jesus was very much part of a, a cohort of men I sought to uh, work together to further God's business. And I guess you could say this you could say, well, that's all very well and good for you, Jesus, living in the real world, yeah? You, you got the opportunity, I think I read somewhere, to, to choose your disciples, right? Uh, And you chose disciples that no doubt were delightful and probably, as they were your disciples, did everything you wanted them to do. Uh, And here am I. (laughs) Here am I, working with Gary. The reality is that 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 is a a good objection. However, I'd answer it by saying this. Uh, Jesus' disciples, they weren't kind of... Um, kind of like we would have expected them to be today, if you like. They weren't kind of Western, uh, middle-class uh, church folk. They weren't, um, I guess, a Czech shirt wearing, a Matt Redmond listening, uh, slur drinking, quiche eating people. People like me. No, the disciples were, they were far more rough around the edges than that. They were, some of them, fishermen, for crying out loud, which means that they are far more likely to have, Smelt of fish, ate with their fingers, slurped the bowl and chewed with their mouth open. So not at all unlike the people that you work with. And just like the people that you work with, uh, Jesus' disciples, at least for the most part, uh, didn't understand his faith, struggled to understand why he didn't hold to the prevailing views of the times and would at times, at least, find some of the things he believed to be absurd and some of the things that he would say to be offensive. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to work where you work. And just like our colleagues and coworkers and classmates, can display, uh, I guess, the, uh, a range of different personalities, uh, temperaments, and agendas, uh, so too Jesus' coworkers displayed the range of personalities, temperaments, and agendas, with uh, Jesus' colleagues really kind of uh, displaying the full range of colleagues that we might have in the workplace. Uh, take Peter, for example. Peter, in this very passage, Uh, acts like Jesus' supervisor uh, telling him you will never wash my feet okay Uh, Peter is very much the person that you work with that uh, kind of uh, acts like your boss but they very much are not Uh, Peter is your typical uh, bossy colleague and then after Peter we have uh, Thomas uh, who history has rather unfortunately dubbed doubting Thomas he's the skeptic He's the guy that you work with that doesn't believe anything is true unless it's been proven by scientific method. Uh, Thomas is the atheist that you work with. And then we have everybody's favourite, Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector. Now tax collectors in Jesus' day uh, were very much seen as uh, traitors. (laughs) Uh, They were seen as kind of the the snitches if you like and and therefore Matthew uh, Matthew types are the I guess they're the typical workplace moles Uh, they're the people that love nothing more than to tell your boss uh, when you come back from lunch three minutes and 23 seconds late Matthew is everybody's favorite and then of course there's Nathaniel another one of Jesus disciples Nathaniel Nathaniel was an interesting one he he's the prejudice guy uh, he's the one that you work with that uh, just doesn't like people that come from various parts of the world. This, this is what he was like, Nathaniel. He famously said, could anything good come from Nazareth? When hearing about where Jesus came from, he clearly hated people that came from Nazareth. Nathaniel's the guy that you work with that uh, tells the kind of mildly racist Englishman, Irishman and, and Scotsman jokes. Nathaniel's the guy that you work with that whenever he tells a jokes, joke, makes you kind of nervous laugh. That's Nathaniel, And then we have James and John. James and John, two of Jesus' closest associates, closest friends, closest disciples. Uh, Jesus, I guess, rather affectionately uh, renamed uh, James and John the, the, the sons of thunder. Uh, James and John are your typical loud colleagues. These, uh, these are the people that love nothing more than to thump at the keyboard as they type. And then we have last, but by no means least, uh, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots were very much seen as activists. They're actually uh, seen as extremists in Jesus' day. Uh, Simon the Zealot is the guy you work with that's part of Extinction Rebellion. Simon the Zealot is the guy that you have sneaky suspicions that you may have seen on the six o'clock news blocking a slip road to the M25. Therefore... With this said, Jesus worked with people like we work with. He worked with the bossy, he worked with the sceptic, he worked with the traitor, he worked with the racist, he worked with the noisy, he worked with the activist. Jesus had colleagues just like me and you. There was one more kind of category of colleague that Jesus worked with. One kind of disciple that I haven't mentioned, one that that didn't mean well, one that hated him. And the Bible tells us only a only little bit of what it was like to work with Judas Iscariot. And some of the traits that the Bible describes here of Judas, they are traits that will be familiar to, I'm sure, in offices and workplaces up and down the country. Maybe they're traits that you're dealing with in your situation right now. But this is what the Bible says about Judas. It says, well, it says Judas was two-faced. Judas was two-faced. Mark chapter 14 says this, Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. And when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi. And Judas kissed him. Uh, Judas displays the ultimate lip service here. Judas would prove to be two-faced and what we also see Judas he he, he didn't care about the team but he, he he cared about himself that's that's the reality this is what it says in John chapter 12 it says Judas having charge of the money bag used to help himself to what was put into it Judas would be the first pastor to steal from ministry Judas didn't care about anyone else. He cared about himself. And and lastly, we see that Judas would target Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, it says this. Judas said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Uh, Judas, Judas was looking for the right moment to take Jesus down. I, I, I must say this at this point. Judases or Judas types, they're not kind of a dime a dozen. There can be people that have traits of Judas, but true Judas types, they're pretty rare to have in the workplace. The person that you work with that microwaves fish isn't Judas. The, the person that you work with that, that chews with their mouth open isn't the Antichrist. It might be their cousin, um, but it's not him. Meaning that the reality is this, that just because a person disagrees with you or displeases you doesn't mean necessarily that they, they're, they're a Judas type. That, that just needs to be said. But the question that needs to be posed then is this, because Jesus had various different t- kinds of, of colleague and co-worker. So how does Jesus deal with such a mixed bag of colleagues? He worked with these colleagues for three years, roughly. How does he deal with them? which finally takes us to John chapter 13, the passage that we had read out from the beginning. This is something of a a picture of what Jesus would be all about. We see Jesus here display how he treats colleagues that are overbearing, traitors, racist, noisy, extremists, and skeptical. People like you and me. And it says in the first verse of John chapter 13, he loved them to the end. Uh, We see Jesus here with 24 hours left to live. He knows what Judas is plotting against him. He knows that the next day his sufferings commence but it appears that there's something else that he knows. Because it says this, he knows that the father has given all things into his hands. The father has given all things into his hands. And with cosmic power in his fingertips and galaxy forging might in the palm of his hands. Jesus' primary impulse is to take those same hands to tie a towel around his waist and to wash the feet of sinful men. We see Jesus here being handed every conceivable power and he decides at this point to display the crown jewel He decides at this point to display the power that the Bible says that angels are unable to fathom. One Peter, chapter one, verse 12, says that they long to look into this power. Jesus, before a, a watching universe, dis- decides to display the most shocking of all God's power. Jesus displays the unending, unfailing, unmerited, unlimited grace of God unto his disciples. Perhaps you've said this before. Perhaps you said, God, God, if you're real, why don't you just show yourself? If, if God's real, just show yourself. If you showed yourself then I believe in you. Uh, come on, Jesus. This is what it says in your book. In verse three here, it says, all things have been given into your hands. So where's that choir of angels? Where, where, where's, the, where are the, 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 where's the fire from heaven? Where are the pyrotechnics? Where's all of this great glory of yours? Come on, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself. Well, friend... Don't you understand? You are seeing him. This, this is him. This is his glory. You want, you want Jesus to 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 flex his muscle. You want Jesus to flex his muscle. You want to see some power. All right. Jesus will take off his top. Jesus will take off his top. He'll take off his top, tie a towel around his waist and scrub you so clean of your sins that God himself will declare you faultless. This is how Jesus flexes his muscle, like this. And I tell you, there is no mightier power in heaven or on earth. How could there be? Jesus, the creator, stooping down in his creation, washing the feet of his created. Jesus, the one in whom John the Baptist would say, the strap of his sandals, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, would himself stoop down and untie your sandals, taking the posture of a slave, gently wiping your sandals feet and isn't it fascinating how how he does it because let's not forget friends this is this is jesus in his last 24 hours on earth this is his last night time is short he's got a few hours left so much to do i'd imagine that washing the the feet of Twelve disciples would have taken some time. Yet Jesus, he doesn't push a button. He doesn't pull a lever. No. Christ has no laundrette. Jesus attends to each disciple individually. This is what it says. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This may have taken up to an hour on the last few hours he had on earth. Therefore, we learn that if we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just to get his bucket, to get his sponge, to tie a towel around his waist and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. And this is what he says. He says this, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Translation, if, if you've received from God in this way, it, it becomes who you are to, to dispense from God in this way. And it is who you are. And to not uh, give this grace to your colleagues and co-workers would be to betray who you are. Dear friends, don't be true to yourself. Be true to your new self. Be true to who Christ has made you if you believe. That's who you really are at your core. Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. And to be clear, it's worth mentioning that. When Jesus says this, the way he he loves his disciples in this particular uh, moment is by washing their feet. But Jesus isn't looking for us to kind of start a cult and and start washing Gary's feet. Um, That's not what he's looking for here. Uh, What he's kind of saying behind the symbolism is ultimately, he doesn't want his followers to uh, be too high in their hearts to be prepared to go low in service for others. It's important to him that his, his, his followers are characterised by this trait, this spirit. But then you might say this. Okay, okay. But if you think about what you're saying here, you'd actually realise this, this is a dangerous teaching. This is dangerous. Because Jesus lived this way perfectly. And he ended up getting abused he ended up getting taken advantage of. That, that's literally what happened at the cross 24 hours later. And so here you are saying to us that this is what the Bible says. This is how we should live. Surely that, that would surely leave us open to be taken advantage of. What happens if I'm in the workplace and I'm being bullied, I'm being gossiped about, I'm being discriminated against, I'm being sexually harassed? Am I still to continue to wash people's feet, my perpetrator's feet? That is a good question. A study carried out by the Everyday Sexism Project and the Trades Union Congress surveyed over 1,500 working women and discovered that 52% had been victims of unwanted sexual behaviours. 52%. Now, if this figure is accurate, that would constitute hundreds of women across this church. Are we still to wash feet? Isaiah 53 verse seven says this about Jesus. Listen carefully, it says, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearing is silent, so he opened, not his mouth. You need to know that Jesus suffered in silence, so you don't have to. And while the Bible does say that we, in situations such as I've described, should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us in Matthew chapter five, Jesus also says, pray like this, deliver us from evil. Friend, if you are at work and you're being bullied, gossiped about, discriminated against or harassed, as well as devoting yourself to a, a concerted season of prayer and probably fasting, it's entirely appropriate to speak to your line manager. That, that, would be, that would be very spiritual for you to do that. Very spiritual. It would. And if for whatever reason you feel, do you know what? If I'm to go to my line, I think that would exacerbate things, make things more difficult for me, put me in a tougher spot. Uh, Let me encourage you to speak to ACAS, the Advisory, Conciliation and Arbitration Service. Uh, They will give you free legal advice. Uh, Their number is 0300 123 1100. I have contacted ACAS uh, previously uh, about something in the realms of what I'm kind of describing. And I tell you this, there is no shame in it. There's no shame in it. And there's so much more I'd like to say, so much more nuance, uh, so many more important objections, uh, more clarifying remarks I'd like to make. But suffice to say this, if this is you, please go to the prayer team. If you're watching at home right now, go to the prayer team. Or if you're watching at home, go and find someone to pray with you. We want to stand with you in this. And one way of us doing that is by praying with you. So in the meantime in the gap how do we continue to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us how do i love my how do i love someone that's persecuting me how do i love someone that's discriminating against me how do i pray for someone that's specifically targeting me in the workplace but the reality is we see Jesus do just that right here in this passage with Jesus washing the feet of Judas Iscariot, who he knew all along was his betrayer. How how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? And I think the key to the fuel that helped Jesus do this is something that we've already mentioned and touched upon because it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Therefore, it seems to me that the knowledge that all things had been given into Jesus' hands was the fuel for Jesus to be able to serve so humbly and sacrificially. Meaning that if we are Christians, if we are mini Christs, if we are to flow in his slipstream then we do well to fill our own heads with the reality that the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands. We need to daily rest in, the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands. We need to cheer ourselves up with the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs because the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands. And if the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands, then it means that Jesus used those hands to handpick his disciples, the people that he worked with, including Judas for the good of the world. Meaning likewise, that Jesus must then have handpicked my colleagues, including the difficult one, for my good. Friends, it's important for us to take these huge theological truths and pull them down into our day-to-day lives, to to make them earthy. We must show ourselves, do the maths, show our workings, preach to ourselves, speak to ourselves, even out loud. But no matter what kind of maths you do, whatever the equations you you use, we must always go back to the game-changing equation. The most significant equation of all because friends, the father has given all things into Jesus' hands. It's done. It's finished. God isn't taking auditions for king of the universe. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 2. And you are joined to this king. You're joined to him. You're, it's like you're, you're one, you're, you're married to Jesus, you're married to him. And at the cross, Jesus says, all that is yours is mine. In the resurrection, Jesus says, all that is mine is yours. But first we must come to him to have our sins forgiven. That is to be washed inwardly meaning that this foot washing would be Jesus pointing directly, directly to the events of the following day. Because just as Jesus took off his garments to serve, the very next day, he'd be stripped of his garments to serve. Just as Jesus used the hands that hold all things to wash feet, the very next day, Jesus would use the hands that hold all things to have nails driven through them. Just as Jesus would pour water into a basin, the very next day, Jesus' blood would pour from his body. Just as Jesus tied a towel around his waist in service, The very next day, Jesus would be buried in a linen towel in service. Just as Jesus put on his outer garments and resumed his place, on the third day, Jesus rose again and resumed his place at the right-hand side of God. Friends, the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands and he uses those hands to wash your feet. And there is nothing better than knowing the king that is over you loves you so much that he's prepared to wash your feet. Tell me a better leader than Jesus. Tell me a better king to have over you. In all of the world, there isn't one. Friends, let me say this. Without Jesus, your feet stink. They're full of dirt and dung and disease. But you must now come to Jesus. You must confess your sins. All he requires of you is to reveal your feet as they are. You don't have to clean them up. You don't have to pat them down. No, 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 no. Just reveal them as they are. Just confess. And allow him to, as he does in this story, place your foot on himself. Uh, dear friend, maybe maybe you've said this. Maybe you're like Peter, you said, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Perhaps you've been hostile to God, hostile to Jesus, hostile to Christianity, hostile to Christians, hostile to the Bible, hostile to church. Maybe for years this is really what you've been saying. You shall never wash my feet. You won't get me. You can get other people, not me. Friend, let me say this. Let me encourage you. Don't don't reject Jesus's spectacular humility here because to do so, as Jesus says in the very passage, you will have no share with him ever. So dear friend, let me say this, Jesus, he's right here in front of you right now. His top is off, his towel is round his waist and he's on one knee. Will you accept Jesus into your life, allow him to come and wash you inwardly and follow him all the days of your life? Or will you tell him to get up? Dear friends, let me encourage you. Let's all of us take off our sandals. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a savior like this. We thank you that you would stoop down for us and come and take our sin and our shame and our mess. We thank you that you don't see our mangled toes and feet and you don't recoil, you don't pull a face. You don't shout, you don't expose us and point us out in front of a crowd. No, you come, you cover us. You wash us clean. We thank you that this is the, what sort of saviour you're like. And Father, I just pray, Lord, now that we would all now come and receive this foot washing. I pray, Lord, that we'd all come and confess our sins, whether we're Christians or not, and come and receive your mercy your attention, your care, your love, and your grace. We come to you as we are, Lord. We thank you that you accept us through faith in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.